And we are live. On Tuesday night, President Joe Biden delivered his State of the Union address. As we have grown accustomed to, the night was fraught with political theater. We are going to talk about the speech, dissect some of the most egregious lies of the night, and provide context to some of the claims of the president. According to Biden, the economy is roaring. In reality, inflation, energy prices, and consumer spending data show that this is not the case. We're going to be talking about this and more on episode 384 of the In the Tank podcast. We've got the classic music back. Hopefully we don't get tagged for some lame copyright restriction. We own that. We own the rights to play that song, YouTube. Stop copyright striking us. Anyways, welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me, I've got the full crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing fine. I am uh, trying out the new camera and camera software recommended by Justin Haskins. So if uh, things go screwy, I will bail out and go back to the old ways, but hopefully things will work out. And blame Justin for it. Justin Haskins, director of the Socialism Research Center. How are you doing today, good sir? Um, I'm doing all right. Um, I just want to be clear, though. If something happens that's wrong with Jim's camera... Has nothing to do with me. Don't look yeah. to me. What's with this lineup? Look at I should be over here. Jim should be over there. There we go. I know. Also joining us, we have Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? Doing good. Uh, it's another rainy day, rainy dark day in Chicago. Hey, it beats being negative twenty degrees and snowing. So I will take this. Uh, Before we get going, audio-only listeners that are catching the show on a Friday or Saturday, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time. Watch us live where we're streaming on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. You could join in the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And also, we have that Super Chat feature now where uh, it'll guarantee that we will answer your questions as long as it's appropriate. So, uh, yeah, join in. Join the show. Be part of the community and all of that. Jim, another piece of house cleaning. We are only, what, two and a half weeks away from ICCC 15. Are you getting Are you getting the nervous sweats yet? I am not getting the nervous sweats, but we're actually exactly two weeks away uh, from the 15th International Conference on Climate Change down uh, in Orlando, Florida, February 23rd to 25th. You can still get your tickets, especially our listeners who are in the Orlando area. This is a great opportunity to meet some of the best. Oh, 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 he's gone. Some of the best what? I don't know. Some of the best speakers on climate change stuff or, you know, we got some we got some uh, big names. Alex Epstein's going to be there. Ron, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin's going to be there. Justin Haskins not going to be there. So don't uh, nope. buy your tickets expecting him. Um, and, and Justin perf- perfectly executed with that camera that you recommended him. Cut him <laughs> out right after three minutes. Exactly how we planned. So that's fantastic. 
But I'm sure Jim Wood is going to give a bunch of information about the different speakers that we've got lined up, like I mentioned. And if you're watching this, you can see that we've got the website up on the screen in case you wanted more information or ticket information. You go to climateconference.heartland.org for all of that good stuff. Oh, I see Jim is trying to get back in here in the back end. There he is. Jim, I covered flawlessly for you. You did. Am I, did you add me to the stream? Because my computer is actually going slow. So I'm probably going to dump out. And uh, thanks thanks a lot, Justin. Uh, I'm probably going <laughs> to dump out of this. <laughs> go back to my old camera. That's all right. Uh, but yeah, I think you covered it pretty well. I didn't hear it, but uh, <laughs> you showed it on the screen. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Flawless. Uh, sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we still got tickets available, as Jim was saying. So definitely go to, you can find the information, heartland.org. There'll be a featured thing at the top of the screen, surely, or climateconference.heartland.org for all the rest of the information there. A lot of good guests. A lot of good guests. So uh, So yeah. Definitely make a make a point to get there if you can, or the different live streams that surely will have available during the majority of the conference. So, um, the podcast is is uh, the the last few weeks we've done topics that are um, a little bit more out there. Uh, we talked about Davos. We talked about the the cities of the future that these people at Davos have planned for us. We talked about Chat GPT and artificial intelligence last week. We're going to be going back to a little bit of our roots here in this episode, talking about a little bit more down-to-earth things, including, and not limited to, President Joe Biden's State of the Union address that happened on this past Tuesday. Gentlemen, uh, out of the four of us, uh, who, who watched it? Did Chris, did you watch it? Chris watched it for sure, I bet. No, I did not watch it. Oh, Chris. Didn't watch, did I didn't watch it, it live, but I watched it after the fact. All oh, right. so you watched I it. could not. I, you know why? Here's why. Because I cannot stand all the ovations and all the you know pomp and circumstance. I just wanted to get to the bottom of it. So I just uh, you know uh, watched uh, on YouTube and I uh, fast forwarded through all the uh soviet style ovations oh know? so it was only like 20 minutes long then so right, exactly. through yeah, all of it. It a lot of time actually yeah jim yeah. did you watch any of it i did not watch any well i watched clips of it so i i did help pick the clips that we have uh, uh to present on the podcast today but i did not watch it uh, i was actually playing a tennis match at the time much more more fun than watching joe biden stumble through but in the clips i did see what was actually um Pretty interesting was that, you know, the jokes were that he's really hopped up on on the speed on the uppers to get him through this. You know, it's way past his bedtime to be up uh, talking to people at 9 p.m. And if you if you watch or at least the clips I saw when I had to go deeper into the speech to grab a clip, that's when the slurring and the and the, you know, and the skipping of words and the, and the mm -hmm. stumbling happened in the beginning. He was he was pretty sharp for Joe Biden. For an 80-year-old uh, dementia patient, he was actually not bad for like, I don't know, maybe the first three minutes, but it just started to slowly go downhill and then accelerate. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you'll get to hear that on the clips today. In all just seriousness, just his his walk into the chamber was painful to watch. <laughs> Shuffling. It's like he could barely make it up, you know, up the uh, couple of stairs. I thought and, they were gonna uh, cart him in like in like yeah. Silence of the Lambs or whatever. He's got like the mask <laughs> on his face or something. Uh, Justin, you told me yesterday you didn't watch it, but you read, I think, the entirety of it because they have the transcript available. That's how you consume the State of the Union. Um, 
Yeah, no, I didn't read the entirety of the transcript, you know, in full disclosure. I read uh, much of it, but not all of it. He, he I read did a chat read... GPT summary of it. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't. I actually, I, I don't rely on AI to tell me things. I, I read my own transcripts that AI probably <laughs> produced for CNN. So it was on CNN's website. And I read CNN's little, the re- reason I didn't get through all of it was because CNN did like, color commentary writing like you know the, like little comments somebody uh was and they fact checked things as well um which i thought was interesting i mean of course by cnn standards so you know lying as we might call it elsewhere mm-hmm. but it was um it, so it was really interesting that stuff um so i was really caught up in that that okay. was the main the main thing but i didn't get all the way through it it was too boring to even read so, I mean, oh, sure. never I mean, mind listening and the ovation. I cut all of that stuff out. I was also able to read it, so I didn't have to listen to the slow, monotonous pace of Joe Biden. And even still, I couldn't get all the way through it. It was just too boring. And it was and it was frustrating even to read. So for Chris, it must have been like uh, being trapped in a Vietnamese you know, prison camp or something. Because it was like, it was like you couldn't get through in my case, a few lines of text without there being some kind of agonizing lie, right? Like just mm-hmm. agonizing lie. I mean, it was full of, of lies and misleading things and half truths and things taken out of context. And, and, and there was, and we'll get to this at some point, I'm sure one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in a state of the union address that happened Joe Biden, Joe Biden making out with uh, Jill Biden no. making out with Kamala Harris. Yeah. Husband. yeah, well, that was pretty incredible. But <laughs> the, Joe Biden at one point actually reversed course in it. Like he made an accusation about Republicans and then essentially took it back. After oh, we'll get fact. to that. We'll yeah. To that. So incredible stuff. So that was I mean, it was just, you know, well, see, I would say it was more entertaining than the average one, but still horribly boring and not yeah, worth but, uh, most people. See, see I'm, I'm spoiled by, like, the state of the general, like, uh, uh, events like this. Like, I was fully expecting Will Smith to walk up and slap him across yeah, the face I at know. one point, and it didn't happen, <laughs> so I just tuned out. But, uh, yeah. but no, I want to double down on some of the stuff. Well, there, there was there was a little incident between Mitt Romney and George Santos, so this this was a lot of drama in this one. God, terrible. But no, I want to double down on some of the stuff that Chris said, because the like all of this, you know, you mentioned the pomp and circumstance. I mentioned the political theater, like all of this is like it's an hour and a half long politics of clapping. That's what this was. One side wants to clap as much as possible to give the illusion that everything is great. The other side wants to clap as little as possible to give the illusion that everything is terrible or reality that everything's terrible. And, 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 you know, sometimes the one side that doesn't want to clap feels like they have to clap and maybe we should clap a little bit or, or maybe we should stand and clap or, or maybe I should boo this time or, or maybe I should shout liar. You know, it's all this like planned out stuff. It's just nauseating. So I watched it for about five minutes before turning it off in disgust. And in that five minutes that I was watching, uh, uh, Joe Biden was talking about like his work on like cancer stuff during the Obama. Uh, he's like, yeah, back in the Obama administration, I, I was doing this and that. And I'm like, administration. I'm like, you're missing entire syllables here, dude. <laughs> like, go take a nap, man. 
But yeah, it was it was too unbearable. Watch five minutes, read up on a whole bunch of the commentary and everything that was said and whatever. So, you know, I, I am up to date on the things that went down during it. But no, I could not suffer, suffer through that hour and a half long political theater. Too much for me. Absolutely viewership viewership was down substantially from prior State of the Union. So America as a whole just wasn't tuning into this. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, well, I mean, like, you can't be more entertaining than the Trump one. So I would expect people to be like, oh, it's just Biden up there. Nah, let's let's turn on something else. So, um, Yeah, but we can get to some of the lies. So, Justin, I have to admit, the entire premise of this episode is based on a draft of an editorial that you wrote yesterday that was titled uh, The Three Biggest Lies of Biden's State of the Union Address. Uh, I know that you've revised that and everything, but I'm still using that as the kind of the cornerstone of this podcast episode. I so, didn't revise it. I don't uh, know yeah. what, what kind of fake news this is that you're uh, spreading right, right, right. now. Maybe, maybe, you're saying, maybe, maybe you I think what one. you're thinking, I wrote two op-eds. Uh, you wrote two. One oh. was three biggest lies. One was the biggest lie. So there's Sweet. two different Oh, things. so you're just okay. kind of narrowing the focus. Got it. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first one then, because uh, I, I that, those were the, That's the, the one you read. <laughs> that was the one I read, yes. So, <laughs> so uh, care to explain? Well, maybe you already kind of explained what kind of motivated you to write such an incendiary article about our president. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it was one of the, uh, well, the State of the Union, I'm not really worried about the impact of the State of the Union on its own, okay, because I don't think a lot of people pay attention to it other than people who are locked into politics, okay, so if you're really interested in politics, then you watch the State of the Union, I don't think the average person watches State of the Union, I think they change the channel when they're, when it comes on, but um, I, and I think people who are locked into politics generally already have picked a side. They've already decided whether they like Joe Biden or not. So does it have an impact on elections? No. But what I think it, it, the reason it's important, I think, for people like us to pay attention to what's going on is it does give you a sense of what of how they are. It's sort of like their game plan for marketing um, going forward. Right. right. That's, it's like that's all this is a big PR yeah conference it's them laying out here's how we're planning on convincing the the people who are probably not watching this what uh the why they should vote for us going forward in the future okay so so it's laying out the game plan for at least a year and really uh much longer than that i mean the amount of effort that goes into a state of the union is incredible i mean it involves many many people lots of writers they really think this thing through so it, it is a fleshed out uh marketing campaign propaganda campaign i mean really that's what it is and so um I pay attention for that reason. And and the and the reason I wanted to write an article like this is because there were there's certain things that were said that I think if they are not addressed by our side, lies, I mean, uh, I do think they will be incredibly impactful for the left going forward. Sure. I tried to pick out some things that I thought were of all the things that that I thought were kind of misleading or or exaggerated claims or or flat out dishonest I wanted to pick the things that I thought we need to focus on debunking because right. if we don't, they will be really effective going. And, and you narrowed it down to three because a hundred biggest lies of the state of the union would have been too cumbersome to be you, published. You know what? I, it's funny. I saw there were, there were several articles on other, the, the article that I wrote, the three biggest lies that was published by red state. Um, and that was on the front state, the front page of red state yesterday. Um, thanks to, to Chris's efforts. Thank you, Chris. And, um, 
it, but there were other publications that ran similar kinds of articles, but a lot of them were like the 10 biggest lies or the 12 <laughs> biggest lies mm-hmm. or like, I think 12 was the biggest that I saw the number. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know. I mean, there's, there were plenty to choose from for sure. sure. Right. Right. All right. Well, I think we should go through some of the larger ones, uh, points one by one. So let's start off with a big one. So at the 20 minute mark of his speech, Biden spikes the football on the supposed 12 million jobs created by his administration, his administration, sorry, in the first two years. So let's go ahead and have uh, Biden talk for himself for a minute and uh, play this first clip, Andy. Two years ago, the economy was reeling. I stand here tonight after we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs, more jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all, because of the American people. Right. So this to me is probably the one out of all the things that we're going to talk about today, the one that irks me the most. Uh, First, at baseline, the government generally and the president specifically don't create jobs. That is just a stupid thing that these politicians say in an attempt to get reelected. They don't create jobs. Um, And if they do, it's a jobs program that is likely more destructive than it is helpful. But that's not what Biden is referring to in this clip. Biden is referring to the fact that people were not allowed to work because of the government policies that were in place that intended to combat the COVID pandemic. And during Biden's first two years, the government allowed people to go back to work. That's not creating jobs. And it's so incredibly disingenuous to claim that as a win for his administration. I can't stand it. It would be like if I stole $10,000 from you, Chris, waited several months, and then gave back $5,000, and then from then on claimed that I gave you $5,000, which reminds me, I got to get my taxes done. Yeah, but... but uh, Chris, does this irk you as much as it does me? Of of course it does, because it's a... Blatant lie. But uh, his comment before the uh, 12.7 million uh, supposed jobs that he created was also a lie. He said that he inherited an economy that was reeling. No, he didn't. He had, he had inherited an economy from uh, from Trump that was in the middle of a V-shaped recovery, because by the time that the uh, pandemic had pretty much subsided, uh, we were in you know summer or fall of 2020. By the end of 2020, the United States was back on the upswing. Uh, jobs were being created. The economic growth was, you know, going gangbusters. So th- this idea that he uh, inherited an economy like his, uh, like you know, President Obama did in the throes of the, you know, Great Recession, is just not true. And I think that we need to make that point abundantly clear because President uh, Biden inherited an economy that was actually in full-on recovery mode. And what he did by spending all of the money and all the other, you know, anti-energy policies and everything else that he did, he completely throttled that. And here we are today now, two plus years, and we are still nowhere even close to where we were at the start of the pandemic. So everything he said was a lie. But I think it's so important for the people to realize that had Biden just done nothing and just kept the, you know, the, 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 the Trump policies in place, you know, per se, we would be in a much better economic state than we are today. Yeah, you could have replaced Joe Biden with a hamster and you would have still gotten that 12 million jobs, probably 13 million, honestly. Jim, uh, I said that this was, I'm not sure if you were back in after changing your cameras and stuff before I said this, but I said that this point about this 12 million supposed jobs that he created was the point that irks me the most. What are your thoughts on it? 
Oh, now we can't hear you. This is just a tragedy. Justin, uh, while Jim tries to figure this out, uh, you wrote pretty extensively on this one point. Do you want to elaborate on any of this? Yeah, I mean, I think so. A few, a few things to to consider here. Number one, yes, most of the jobs that came back during the but so in Biden's two years, most of the jobs, the vast majority of the jobs of the twelve million that he's talking about that were added from the time that he became president until now, came back the first year, and most of them came back early on in the first year. And the reason for that is exactly what Chris was saying. He didn't inherit an economy that was uh, crashing. He in- inherited an economy that had already been had already crashed and was already starting to come back. And what's really important is why was it coming back? It was coming back because the pandemic was basically over for all intents and purposes. And the vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccines were being rolled out, which was causing the government, state governments, not federal government, to reopen economies who, and, and, and some of them had already kept their, had already opened, reopened their economies. Some of them uh, had never really closed them in the first place. But most of the economies that had been closed, the governments were now reopening them because the vaccines had been released and they felt more comfortable reopening them because of the vaccines. Now, the vaccines, Biden also had nothing to do with. He didn't develop the vaccines. The private sector developed them. And they were developed and created when Donald Trump was president based on, in part, policies that he had put into place. So whatever you think of the vaccines, whether you like them or you don't like them, is sort of irrelevant. The governments that reopen their economies reopen them because the vaccines were being rolled out. And again, that had nothing to do with the federal government. Those were state governments reopening them. So Democrats, for the most part, kept the economy closed for a significantly long time, much longer and much more extensively than Republican states did, but at the state level. Biden and people like that supported it. So they supported killing all the jobs. Then the jobs started coming back because vaccines created in the private sector had rolled out and that made them feel more comfortable about reopening the economy. Then Joe Biden shows up. The vaccine had already been developed. The state, half the the country had already been reopened. The rest of the country, which was terrified of COVID was now starting to reopen, planning to reopen because of the vaccines that had just come out. And Biden is now claiming credit for all of this stuff happening when he had nothing to do with it. So, I mean, it's really, it's maddening. And then the other part of it, just to kind of touch on the second half of it was, this is historic. So the first thing he says is, this is uh, 12 million jobs added. That's that's garbage. The, it's probably a couple million jobs that were actually added, maybe two to three million. And I think even that is probably not fair. But but let's say it's two to three million jobs that were actually added, not 12 million. All right. That is even misleading because now he's saying, well, this is a historic amount of job growth. We've never seen anything like this. In fact, he said in two years, more jobs were added than at any under under any other president in four years. So he's by his logic, this is like an economic golden era that we're living yeah, in right exactly. now, which is right. absurd, right? If you just go back to uh, all the way back to the the second year of the of the Trump administration, okay? So we just have to go back to the last president and we compare full-time jobs added, full-time jobs added 
in Trump's second year versus full-time jobs added in Biden's second year. So an apples to apples comparison between this president and the last president, Donald Trump's economy added like a million more jobs in the same period of time, 12 months. So the idea that this is somehow historic is completely false. It's not even as good as the last president during the same period of time. And Further, even if you wanted to claim that some of the jobs that came back, like a couple million jobs that were added during the, those, the, the first two years of Biden, even if you wanted to say, well, those jobs, maybe maybe uh, some of those 12 million jobs that we think were recovered jobs, actually, that really was Biden spurring the economy. Let's say that that's true. Most of the job growth that came as a result of the Biden administration's policies came from government printed money. It came from trillion dollar deficit, multiple trillion dollar deficit. It came from increasing spending by trillions of dollars, right? And then that caused massive inflation. So even if all the a lot of those jobs were caused by Biden, we're all paying for it through 20% inflation, 15 to 20% inflation over the two years. So that, that's the point that's is, a good, that's a good segue to not, the next point. It's not a great deal. It's really <laughs> no. not. I mean, that's, that's the point I'm making. No, I let, do want to talk let, about let, inflation. At least those jobs were majority, uh, very low paying jobs in the retail and transportation sector too. Oh, so Pete Buttigieg deserves all the credit. Secretary of Transportation for the win. Jim Lakely, uh, technical difficulties, VP of technical difficulties. Are you uh, Are you with us? Can testing, testing. One, two, three. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I can. Nope. I can. Yeah. Do you want to talk about this job? <laughs> now you're going to mess with me. Uh, you you, you're going to need to do sign language, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> the only way. Do you want to talk about this jobs or point, or do you want to take first whack at inflation? Let's let's go to inflation. I think we can hear the, the the job stuff. Oh, you can't uh, hear him, Justin? Justin. No, <laughs> I, I can I hear him, but I can only hear him out of one. Ear. I hear him on my left, um, only my left ear. Oh my god! Everyone, everyone in the comments section, can you hear Jim? Uh, Gary, I'm looking at you. You're you're pretty active. Can uh, can you hear Jim? I'm not going to let him me. talk unless. Uh, Unless this is, Gary tr- says that he can hear you. I'm, tr- I'm trying to improve the technology I use for this podcast. It's only in his left side. Yet. Somebody just posted <laughs> it's a only comment. only in his left side. All right. You know why well, I can't no hear him? Because I only have a ear. mic. I only have a headset in my right ear. Okay. So that's why. All right. So go, go. So I'll, all right. I'll tee you up for the inflation talk. Thank you. We'll put you in uh, mono stereo mode. Don't worry. <laughs> that's right. So sure. <laughs> So surely Biden is taking credit for these jobs based on the various spending programs that Justin just mentioned in his uh, Justin rant. Um, so, uh, it, but as we know, as, as Justin mentioned, that this is contributing to the inflation crisis that we are currently experiencing, which leads me to the next point that I'd like to cover. So about five minutes later into State of the Union, uh, uh, Biden's State of the Union, he addresses inflation. So let's go ahead and play the Biden inflation clip. Go ahead, Andy. Inflation has been a global problem because the pandemic disrupted our supply chains and Putin's unfair and brutal war in Ukraine disrupted energy supplies as well as food supplies, blocking all that grain in Ukraine. But we're better positioned than any country on Earth right now. But we have more to do. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down, not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months. Our take-home pay has gone up. 
wipe wipe away that little dribble there at the end there. But uh, so, yeah, uh, there's a couple of things that were addressed in this clip. The idea of gas prices going down by a dollar and fifty, some take home pay going up. I, I want to touch on those as well. But uh, uh, Jim, like I said, first whack inflation. What do you have to say about it? <laughs> now he's muted <laughs> jim what is going on i'm sorry here? there I'm sorry. we go you guys kept saying every time i type something you go oh this all, all that clicking oh my god gotta get rid of it so i had to mute myself to give you a note anyway <laughs> uh this is this podcast is about biden's lies there is there is something that wasn't a lie in that clip that we played and that was that inflation has gone down slowly in each of the last six months and so we have uh, Andy could bring it up. I think I um, I put it on the screen because I, I found it as you were as Justin was talking about the jobs. Uh, the inflation rate when Joe Biden took office was one point four percent, and then it slowly started to rise uh, by the end of his uh, first term or first year of his first term here. Uh, it was seven percent, and it got as high as nine percent in June of last year, and it is currently uh, well in December it was six point five percent. Again, the entirety of the Trump administration, the average uh, inflation rate was about 2%, 2.3%, which is the normal, healthy inflation rate that this country has experienced throughout, throughout most, of its, uh, most of its existence. And so he's going to sit there and brag that uh, inflation is coming down, uh, you know, and that, you know, p people see it. You know, gas prices actually have not, um, you know, they were at $5 a gallon here locally. I think it was 333 when I drove uh, past the gas station on my way to work today. So that's actually, I guess, kind of good news. But, um, you know, inflation is still a really big problem. You know, a dozen eggs cost six bucks. It cost about two bucks just a year ago. Uh, th these things are real. They really matter to people. So for him to sit there and say that the inflation, you know, to be, to be taking credit for bringing the inflation rate down, uh, it, that, that takes some hutzpah. Uh, yeah, well, Justin paid $11 for his eggs the other day. So uh, $6 seems nice to Justin, wherever he's living, which I won't disclose. But yeah, I mean, uh, the he, so he's right. The the monthly inflation rate, uh, the last reported numbers were December of last year, went down to 6.5 off their peak of 9.1 in June of last year. But that is still a higher monthly rate of inflation than basically any month, with the exception of the past you know several months since the 1980s so to it just seems a bit strange to me that he's putting like that dip to 6.5 in the win column for a state of the union chris what are your thoughts on this it's just completely ridiculous it's so absurd <laughs> that that he thinks that we are dumb enough to believe just because joe biden says that inflation is going down and just because joe biden says that gas prices are going down that the American people are, you know, like happy with that. I mean, come on, give give me a break. Anyone who goes to the grocery store knows that inflation is well above six percent right now. Well above. We're talking 20, 30 percent on just the grocery staples. Factor in, you know, the inflation that we're paying at the pump and the inflation that we're uh, paying for our energy bills. Americans are not able to get ahead anymore. Our standard of living is decreasing and it's decreasing rapidly because our costs are going up. And our our wages are staying stagnant. We, we this is stagflation. Welcome to stagflation. Welcome to, uh, you know, the late 1970s under Jimmy Carter. Uh, you know, after the Great Society and all the money printing and all the spending and the Vietnam War spending, we're back into it. And uh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna get ugly. It's gonna get worse. 
It's going to get worse before it gets better. And it would be much better, I think, politically for Joe Biden if he would just be upfront and honest with the American people instead of trying to tell us that everything's great. Your life is great. The economy is the best it's ever been, because anyone that is not brain dead understands that that is just complete BS. Yeah, at the end of the clip, Biden very happily states that gas prices are down an average of a dollar fifty from their highs of several months ago. And of course, he doesn't mention that the prices are still a dollar higher than uh, than they were when he took office. Also, uh, according to an article that I was reading that was referencing data from Gas Buddy, which like analyzes you know past and future gas prices, that they're expecting gas prices to rise to about four dollars this year. So right, right, just- because. Well, you know, come springtime and summer, we're going to have, you know, the the higher demand, obviously. And, you know, they're going to have to change back to the uh, the summer, uh, you know, fuel. And that's the, the gas prices are about to go way up. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this this also like we have to keep in mind that Biden's policy platforms that he ran on and became president on and continues to pursue while being president are all very specifically designed to undermine the oil and gas production in this country. And believe it or not. That's going to lead to higher prices. It's not rocket science, people. Justin, do you want to talk about inflation or maybe specifically energy prices going up? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, one of one of the things that people need to keep in mind when we're talking about energy prices um, is that obviously part of that, a large part of that in re- for recent energy price rise is going to be from Vladimir Putin, right? And so the war in Ukraine and all of that has disrupted global energy markets, caused all sorts of problems. There's no doubt about that whatsoever, right? But, and that's what Joe Biden would say. They, he would say that the energy price stuff that's going, that has nothing to do with him. The problem, though, with that uh, argument in particular is that if you look at energy prices, they were going up before the war in Ukraine started. They were already going up by a lot and inflation was already happening quite significantly going into Vladimir Putin's invasion. So there is no way that you can make the case that the energy price um, increases is due entirely to or mostly because of Vladimir Putin. That just flatly isn't true. The other thing is the supply chain issue, which he brought up, right? He says that this is all due to supply chain uh, problems and that 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 has nothing to do as if that has nothing to do with him. I mean, Hmm. last I checked, he does have something to do with making sure the supply chain is working well, but whatever. Let's say that he doesn't have anything to do with that. Okay. The supply chain issues were at their worst during the pandemic in 2020, when people were staying home and we had all sorts of problems with supply chain globally and you had st- issues in China with people being locked in their houses and all this stuff, right? That was when it was at its worst. And yet we didn't have runaway inflation then. So how do you explain that? It doesn't make any sense. If supply, if global supply chain is the reason for the inflation, we should have seen the inflation when that was the at its worst. And we didn't. If, if, Vladimir Putin is the reason why we're seeing inflation, then we shouldn't have seen inflation before the invasion with Vladimir Putin. So in both these cases, it's obvious that's not what's going on. A much more likely reason for the inflation is the fact that the government has printed trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars over the past three years with no way of of taking that money out of the money supply and uh, when you have more money chasing the same amount of goods and services, you get inflation. That's basic common sense economics 101. And, 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 and when you 
send people checks in the mail as they've done numerous times, our federal government over the past few years who never lost their jobs. So you're not replacing money that's been lost. You're just adding money to their bank account. Then when you reopen the economy and those people have the ability to now spend that money, you're going to get inflation. So I, I, this is not, this really does not require a whole lot of deep economic thinking. It's when you print lots of money and then give it to people and they spend it, no, prices no, are going to go up. And so, Justin, of course, didn't that's what's you going watch on. the speech? It's all about, uh, no, uh, I read it. Price gouging. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> didn't you read the speech? This is all about price gouging and these and these corporations trying to just stick it to everybody. So uh, we have Joe Biden talking about that with this uh, big oil clip. Andy, go ahead and go ahead and roll that one. Let's listen to the president. Have you noticed big oil just reported his profits, record profits? Last year, they made $200 billion in the midst of a global energy crisis. <laughs> I think it's outrageous. Sorry. Why? They invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, well, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries <laughs> anyway, so why should we back. invest in them? Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed... <laughs> And be honest, oh. <laughs> we're going to need it. We're going to need production. It. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production to keep gas prices down, instead, they used the record profits to buy back their own stock, rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. Corporations ought to do the right thing. Yeah. That's why I propose we quadruple the tax on corporate stock buybacks and encourage long, <laughs> long-term investments. Oh my God! Yeah, well, uh, Jim, idiot. I'm gonna give you a whack at this, but uh, interesting admission from President Biden uh, saying that we're gonna need gas for at least another decade. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, that was, I think, up to and past the 12-year doomsday prediction by uh, AOC a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, they should have cut to a to a, a vision. A visage of AOC when when uh, he said that she probably was losing her mind at that point. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, this, I mean, look. I mean, Biden is just, he's a moron, and I'm going to explain why. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take a lot of explanation. But let, let's put this $200 billion big oil profit in some uh, in some perspective, shall we? Uh, so when he's talking about that, so yeah, so we're talking about like Exxon, Chevron, uh, you know, and it's, you know, there's like a big three. Um, BP. Yeah, BP, that's it. Well, no, they're, they're British Petroleum. But anyway, there, there's like three or four big oil American companies, and then there's some smaller ones. So for the entire industry, he knows that they uh, made $200 billion in profit last year. Let, let me put that in some perspective. Apple, just Apple, profit $394.3 billion. Just one company. Not an entire industry, one company. Amazon, $514 billion in profits and $180 billion just in the fourth quarter of 2022. Google, $283 billion. Microsoft, $136 billion. Walmart, $144 billion. Again, these are individual companies, not entire industries. And so, you know, the idea that $200 billion is somehow, is, is somehow uh, you know, outrageous when you compare it to what's actually, you know, other companies, it's not that much. It's not that much at all. So, but his his criticism here 
is that the big oil companies are just um, doing stock buybacks and they're letting their investors get rich and themselves get rich when they're not investing back into um, making producing more oil. Um, well, maybe they would if you would stop uh, stopping them from getting leases and exploiting those leases to get oil out of the ground. Um, you know, and, even, and so and even refineries, I don't think we've built a new oil refinery in this country for at least 30 years, something like that, maybe mm -hmm. two of them in the last 40 years. And so let's just presume for a moment that Joe Biden would get rid of all these bureaucratic hoops that uh, would be in the way to build a refinery. And you can imagine that, uh, you know, all of his environmentalist supporters like AOC and others, uh, do you think they're going to sit back and allow that? They're going to mm -hmm. allow Biden to waive these environmental regulations so that we can get a few new refineries built in this country? They won't even let the XL, uh, Keystone XL pipeline get built. And that's perfectly safe. It doesn't, uh, doesn't pollute anything. It doesn't smell. Uh, refineries kind of smell. Um, but even if this was to happen, how soon do you think one refinery could be built? And again, he says he's going to, you know, phase out fossil fuels in 10 years. His plan is by 2035 to be uh, net zero and all of this renewable energy will come online. Uh, so even in the most rosy, unrealistic scenario, it would take probably five years to get that refinery built. Again, even if he waived most of the environmental regulations. So then you're telling me that these big oil companies are going to are going to spend all of this money to build refineries that they can only operate for about five years before he starts making them uh, bring it all down again. That is idiotic. That is magical thinking. That, that is the kind of stuff that comes out of the mouth of somebody who has never worked in the private sector in his life. And he has it. He got elected to the Senate at the age of 29 and had to wait till he was 30 when he was actually old enough to be a U.S. senator after he was elected. And he's done this in his entire life. Uh, he, all he knows how to do is grift from productive private businesses like like his crackhead son uh, had that deal with the Chinese energy company. You know that he knows how to Alleg do Allegedly. <laughs> uh, 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 no, he's a crackhead. It's not allegedly. He's an, he's an alleged human trafficker. No, AOC said it's half fake. <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. Half fake. I'm kidding. But so, so Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's great at grifting off of companies that are actually uh, productive. But this guy wouldn't even know how to run an ice cream shop, let alone an entire. I don't know. Industry. Biden really likes ice cream. He really loves ice cream. Doesn't mean he can run a shop, uh, let alone a, a global <laughs> energy company. He is he is a moron and he was deservedly laughed at in that State of the Union address because uh, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He ha absolutely has no idea what he's talking about, and hopefully people didn't buy it. Yeah, Linnea Lucan, who is a energy expert here at the Heartland Institute, who's a regularly on the Climate Change Roundtable, which is Heartland's climate-related show that airs on every Friday at noon Central Time. She wrote an op-ed. I'm not sure if it was placed yet, but it was in reference specifically to this point that Joe Biden was making. And CNS she... News. News. Oh, okay, cool. It's published already. Uh, she yeah. uh, she wrote in that that in her experience of working for an oil company back in the day, that she was told she was warned that uh, uh, for the oil industry, it's radical shifts from feast to famine, and that during the 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 periods of bad uh, uh, spots for this industry, you're going to see a lot of layoffs. Like be, I think she had a quote in there that was like, "Expect to be laid off every two to three years" or something like that. So, like the idea that uh, that they're making profits at this point in time, it's not necessarily indicative of their even their medium term, you know, uh, being able to rake in profits. So, uh, just, yeah, just, because as she pointed out during the uh, depths of the pandemic, actually, uh, remember, uh, oil was negative. Right. So those those companies lost big time. Oh, look at that. Andy's got the I didn't even have that in the show notes, Andy. Way to go. Good job there. 
natural gas is another part of the story. So uh, there's stories all over the place. Justin and I, you were t- uh, we were talking about this just the other day. A bunch of stories out of Twitter and people talking about their incredibly high gas bills. Personally, I've seen my bill, my gas bill, natural gas bill over the past few months be much, much higher than it's been uh, uh you know than usual and that's like in a relatively mild winter that we're been that we've been having uh gas bills are so high in california that gavin newsom is demanding an investigation into why the prices are so high you know the same governor that signed into law various natural gas bans and restrictions and according to a report that i see here electricity prices have surged 14.3 percent in 2022 double the overall inflation rate for that period of time uh, so there's another piece in that uh, where he was talking about how take-home pay has gone up. He he just kind of threw that in there as just this other sign that things are getting better in the country. The take-home pay is up. So according to a CNN fact-check piece about Biden's State of the Union, take-home pay just recently creeped up a little bit, but not nearly enough to counteract the inflation that we've experienced. <laughs> the author of this article, the CNN article, the author of the CNN article writes... Quote, real wages are lower today than they were both a year ago and at the beginning of the Biden presidency in January 2021. So, uh, yeah, things aren't as, as great as, as Biden is making them out to be, even according to CNN. Uh, Chris, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Damn, I mean, this is just really obvious. Wait, wages and economic growth have been stagnant. Inflation's going through the roof. People's living standards are going down. People's take-home pay is not, their purchasing power is not going as far as it did two to three, four years ago. Hence, people's living standards are being reduced. This is like, this is not like, you know, open to interpretation. This is just economic facts at work here. You know, just, I mean, go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, look up the data. The data speaks for itself. Under Joe Biden, due to the, his you know insane energy policies and his crazy modern monetary theory, deficits don't matter. Just pump four trillion dollars into the economy, and everything will just you know be hunky dory. No, that has repercussions. The repercussions are inflation and uh, people's purchasing power is lowered, and we are experiencing that. And that's why I, most Americans, and I I see this when I go to the store. You can just tell that it's painful for them to go and and you know make the essential purchases, let alone, you know, plan for a vacation or any sort of, you know, uh, you know, uh, discretionary spending. It's, it, it, it's hard. It's, this is a struggle. This is not a, this is not anywhere close to the healthy economy that Joe Biden wants us to think that it is. And right. just because he says it is, does not make it so. And I just, I, I hope that the American people, you know, put this, you know, into the equation when they go to the polls in 2024. Cause I don't think that they did in, in 2022. So hopefully, you know, it will reverberate and resonate and people will, you know, uh, make their votes, uh, you know, heard. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of piggybacking on that. I think when we talk about inflation and we talk about um, prices going up and all of that stuff, we have a tendency and rightfully so to talk about things that we see the prices of all the time. Right. So we we talk about gas prices and we talk about food prices and we talk about how this is impacting people and that and that makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of people who for them, that's the most important thing. Right. But if we were to think about how inflation is really impacting people's wealth, uh, like in a in a in a real way, like how it's actually 
uh, keeping some people from making really big, substantial changes in their lives and, and really improving things and becoming significantly uh, wealthier in their life. Uh, the biggest thing is your home, right? Your home is the biggest purchase that you make in your life. For the vast majority of people, it's the most important investment that they make in their lives. Oh, the average American, uh, a, a lot of their retirement, it's basically 401k and then their home. They sell their home and they move into a smaller home. And that's that's how a lot of people... And if you already owned a home going into all of this stuff, like if you bought your home in, say, 2019 or really early 2020, uh, I think Donnie bought his home somewhere around that, that period of time, you're yep. doing okay. This worked out pretty well, right? But if you didn't buy your home, right? During that period of time, and you had to buy your home after it, or you want to buy a home now, you are substantially poorer in that sense, substantially poorer, because the average cost of a home, this is one of the biggest areas of inflation that most people don't talk about. But the average cost of a home in the fourth quarter of 2019, I'm gonna pull it up right now, fourth quarter of 2019, average cost of a home sales price of a home sold in the United States, $384,000. Okay. So $384,000. If you wanted to buy a home in late 2019, just before the pandemic, the average price of a home in the fourth quarter of 2022, $535,000. So $535,000. So think about that, that priced out lots of people from being able to buy a home, not just because, well, now I need to save up more for a down payment or now my monthly payment is going to cost more. And, uh, maybe I can't afford it for those reasons, but also because you may not even be eligible to take on that much debt. You may not even be approved for that much debt now. So the home that you would have been able to buy in 2019 in December, you may not be able to buy that now. That means you're poorer in a real sense, in a mm -hmm. very real sense. And in some markets, it could be the difference because home prices vary significantly by market. In some markets, that may be the difference between being able to buy a home at all versus not even being able to buy a home, right? Just We're because just you can't afford it. So you're significantly poorer for all of these reasons. There's a whole segment of our society that is much, much worse off because of this inflation, not just because of everyday expenses, but because of these big, really important life decisions that are really expensive um, that now they're not going to be able to, to afford. Don, just real quick, I'm sure James got a lot to say about this, but three uh, really fast statistics to just demonstrate how, how bad it is. 64% uh, of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, over the past year, 9 million Americans making more than $100,000 per year have joined that cohort in living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, Americans are using credit card debt at a unsustainable rate. It is now past $1 trillion. And uh, last but not least, 25% of Americans have dipped into their 401ks or retirement accounts just to make ends meet. That shows we're not saving. We are, we are, you know, losing purchasing power and we are, uh, you know, getting pretty reckless here and putting stuff on credit and uh, digging and in, dipping into our uh, retirement accounts. Uh, Jim, do you want to add anything to this before I get to the last big lie? Just, just, just real quick. I mean, I remember hearing this and I just, I just looked it up. Um, you were, if you were asked, if you had a thousand dollar emergency expense come up this week, would you be able to afford to pay it from your savings? Um, fifty-seven percent of U.S. adults, according to Bankrate.com, in their survey, fifty-seven percent said they would be unable to afford a one thousand dollar emergency expense. 
Uh, and in fact, 85% of Gen Z and 79% of millennials couldn't pay from savings uh, a $1,000 expense, which, you know, those things come up from time to time. Uh, the American people are living, still living on their credit cards, and they're getting maxed out. Um, and the American dream is dying now because inflation is out of control and still out of control. You got to remember that it compounds on itself. You know, if you have a if you have a year where the average monthly rate of inflation is eight percent, that just continually drives down your ability to save. They don't have to spare money to save. If, if, if everything costs 8% more than it did last year on average, and some things that you really need cost a lot more than that, you don't have any money to save. You know, and, so, and you need to save, and you need to save to buy a home. And what's going to happen, actually, is that Joe, Joe Biden and the Democrats will have a fix for this, Justin. They will just lower the standards necessary to get a loan, to buy a home, just like we did in the uh, in the in the middle of uh, the the two thousands, and it, it led to yet another global financial catastrophe. So don't worry, I, they're, they're going to have a government program to fix the mess. I don't know. Made. I think that some of this could be conditioning to the uh, World Economics Forum. You'll own nothing and like it. You know, uh, vision of the future where you won't own a house, you will rent it. You won't own a car because everyone's going to have to buy expensive electric cars. So you will just use rideshare. I think that this is part of that. You know, like just conditioning the American people that that is the future. The sustainable yeah. future. Or I know. I know. We gotta. I know. We gotta move on. So, just one really last quick statistic. Um, in addition to everything that's been said, taking on lots of debt, mortgages are much higher. All of that. It's important to remember. All of this is going on. More people are putting things on their credit cards. People are not putting money into savings. People are buying more expensive houses while interest rates are going up. Right. So, not only is everything more expensive, it's more expensive to have debt. So right. people are going deeper into debt and they're paying more interest on the debt. So they are really worse off, much, much worse off than buying a $360,000 house, $364,000 house in late 2019 at a 3% interest rate is sure. very different than a $550,000 house at a 6% interest rate. And, that and, and is a completely different universe. And, and that, that also applies to the national debt because interest uh, service on the national debt yes. is now $450 billion per year. And it, you know, a couple of years, that is going to uh, be the largest line item in the entire federal government. Seems very sustainable. Uh, so huh. this, this last thing, we only got like six minutes here, but this last thing is one that I admittedly know little about, so I'm going to rely on you guys to kind of fill me in on this. But this was the thing during the State of the Union that sparked the biggest reaction from the audience. It was when Joe Biden accused Republicans of wanting to eliminate Social Security and Medicare. So we've got this clip lined up. Let's go ahead and play that one. Andy. So my many some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it. Unless I, get it. <laughs> I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, that means if, <laughs> what? if Congress doesn't keep the program, talking about conversion way, therapy. Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. 
but it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some no, of them. Name them. Why? Name them. Why? Look, folks, the idea is that <laughs> yes. we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks. <laughs> what are you talking about? I love that reaction from Mike Lee. Uh, what? Please go ahead and stop it there. Well, uh, well, yeah. He actually... No, no, no. I think you should just play a few seconds more. All right, go ahead. No, it's oh. too late. He moved Maybe not oh. naming them, but it's being proposed. Now, nah, forget it. It's Folks. Right. Yeah, but he no, basically immediately immediately after that basically says, "Oh, I guess we you know something to the effect of we all agree, I guess," and admits that actually we we do all agree and uh, never mind. <laughs> <Let's move on laughs> the next thing he completely went off screen, completely goes off script, mm-hmm. and 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 says, "Yeah, actually, you know, I'm glad we all agree now," and then moves on, which I've never that was the thing I was alluding to at the early, earlier. I've never seen that ever in a State of the Union address. I've never even heard of that, where a president makes an accusation against the opposing side. And then in the midst of the State of the Union address, he then they they change. He changes yeah, they, his they opinion all, of it and con- says, oh, never mind. Converted. I guess we all agree. No, but, you know I what? Mean, this this is this is a very serious issue that the Democrats have been politicizing for many years. I remember when they had the guy dressed up as uh, Paul Ryan throwing Granny off a cliff, you know, and I think that was what twenty twelve. I mean, this is a joke, but but you know what's what's really serious? The fact that Social Security is going to go bankrupt, Medicare is going to go bankrupt, and Medicaid is on the verge of going bankruptcy. So they just want to pretend that everything's fine, and if if, if you know any sort of reform is going to you know, be the end of social security. No, if we don't do anything, social security is going to end. If we must do something and the longer they wait, the worse it gets. This is, this is like, um, I just, this is like evil. This is evil. They know that this is unsustainable and that we must make some changes in the here and now. No one's talking about cutting it for all, for all, you know, people who are getting that stuff. Now we're talking about gradual, uh, you know, reforms that are very, very needed. And Joe Biden just cannot help himself but politicize the situation. The the the, the proposal was uh, by several uh, people, but one of them is Ron Johnson, who is speaking at our climate conference in two weeks, and he has a proposal. You know, he has proposed, "Hey, how about every four years or five years, we look at federal programs and vote on whether they should continue or not, and whether they're worth doing anymore." I mean, a great example of this: we we imposed a tax on telephones to fund the Spanish-American War at the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries because only rich people had phones back then. So taxing phones, uh, you were only taxing the rich. That tax stayed on the books for 110 years. It was only repealed, I think, in like 2006 or something like that. Um, and so this is the idea that, okay, if this spending program, if this federal program is that important, we should all happily be on the record in voting to support it. That's all. That's the only proposal this was. But in the, the Democrats demagogue on this all of the time. In, in, uh, after the 1994 Republican Revolution, they took over the House. Newt Gingrich proposed that younger workers, at the time I was a younger worker, could take a small portion of their contributions to the social security system and invest that in the stock market to have an actual retirement account for themselves when they when they get to retirement age. 
and and he was demagogued on that, and that just went away. I was covering the Bush White House in the beginning of his second term, and he said, I have political capital, and I plan to spend it. His idea was, again, letting younger workers take a portion of their Social Security uh, contributions, put it into the private sector to make actual money for themselves and have an actual nest egg at the end of their working life. And that was blown up in about two months uh, in demagogue to death. So for, for Joe Biden to be standing there, what he is actually advocating is making sure that old people have nothing when they get when they get to retirement age. I'm only 52. I don't expect there to be any Social Security by the time I, I would get to, I guess, 65 or 67. You get to uh, you get to start collecting on your Social Security. There won't be anything there. It'll be bankrupt long before then. But I will have spent my entire working life pouring money to the federal government into the supposed Social Security trust fund to never see it again, to have it spent on a bunch of leftist you know, pipe dreams like the environmental spending we have going on now. We can't have an adult conversation about this. It's insane. Justin, we uh, just hit the one hour mark, but I'm going to give you final words on this and then we're going to sign off yeah, for the just, day. Just to show how uh, how big of a lie this, this was, this statement, um, the... Republican leadership has repeat, including the people who some of the people who have proposed, um, you know, doing this five year thing where every five years we're going to look at all federal programs. They flatly asked them, are you saying that you're going to allow Medicare and Social Security and things like that to disappear? And they flatly said, no, we are not going to revise them. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to do that. That's not the point. They might try to I shouldn't have said revise. They might try to fix them. They might try to make some changes to them. That's the whole point, to make changes to just about everything that has any kind of problem and isn't sustainable. But there was never, they never once, even when flatly asked, they never once said, yes, we're going to let it disappear and, and just sunset it. So it was a, not only was it wrong, and it was it was a total and complete lie because the leadership had been asked about it specifically and they re specifically said no. And Joe Biden and the people who wrote that speech knew that and they put it in there anyway because they know that it's a winning talking point. Right. When they polled people in the last election, a lot of people did say they were concerned by that. And that was part of a motivating factor for voting for Democrats. So that's why they're doing it. It's a flat out lie. Big time. Yeah. Just, just part of political theater. But uh, we are past the hour mark, so I want to thank everyone that was joining us for this episode of In The Tank Podcast. Join us every Thursday. Uh, if you're going to tune into the live stream of this, Thursday at noon for a new episode. Join us on uh, where we're streaming on Rumble and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. Join the conversation. Throw your comments and questions in there. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Uh, you can help us out greatly by just doing a couple of things. Won't cost you a penny, only cost you a couple of seconds hitting that like button, hitting that share button for this content, and hitting uh, the subscribe if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through these big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at In the Tank Pod. If you have any questions, suggestions for the show, or even anecdotes, feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail. Dot com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? You can find me at I can't get my podcast equipment to work.com. Also <laughs> at Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Same question to Justin. At Justin Z. Askins on Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, Getter, and uh, stoppingsocialism.com. You can go over there as well and check out all the great stuff that we are working on. Fantastic. Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Stoppingsocialism.com and heartland.org. 
All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.